Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Moving into our time of worship, we'd like to read our scripture for the day, which comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Hear these words. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. I was going to make a joke about, like, for all the workaholics in the room, singing You Never Stop Working over and over again might be threatening, but for those of you who have audio issues, the the rumbling of God is here because today is Pentecost. Um, It is the day in which we celebrate this rushing of the Holy Spirit through tongues of fire upon the apostles' heads. They start speaking in all sorts of different languages, and it's the first story in a sermon series called The Classics, which we are just going to be looking at some of these stories that maybe you learned in Sunday school a long time ago. Maybe you talk about them every now and then in your small group. We're going to dive deep into them all summer long, and so not only is it good to dig into the biblical stories to understand um, what guidance and wisdom they have for our life today— Um, But it's also designed in which we also know that summertime comes with mission trips and big stuff trips and vacations and other times. And so we're not going to be in like a series series to where one, you know, usually one Sunday flows into another. Um, So if you, you know, make sure you drop in when you can um, or worship online when you can. So that... uh, but you'll be able to enter into the series wherever it is because it's a standalone each week. Um, And when I'm thinking about Pentecost, when when I was preparing this sermon... Um, the, uh, Carrie Lynn had titled it The Other Ring of Fire or The Actual Ring of Fire. Um, what I thought about is there is this um, ring that, of land that, that circles the Pacific Ocean um, from the tip of Argentina and Chile all the way up to Alaska. It's this 25,000-mile um, you know, vertical stretch of land that goes in a horseshoe fashion where there are over 450 active volcanoes in this um, kind of horseshoe circle area. There, um, 90% of the world's earthquakes happen within this horseshoe area. It's called the Ring of Fire, and it wasn't named after the Johnny Cash song. That Johnny Cash song came much later after this. The geologist had termed it this. Um, but it, do you know what happens in this zone of unparalleled chaos? Creation. Hawaii sits right in the smack middle of the Ring of Fire. And in 2018, they uh, had measurements that the Big Island of Hawaii, where Volcano National Park is, and you've got the lava that is just constantly seeping out from the Earth's core into the world, interacting with the elements, on the Big Island, it expands by 10 acres every day. Which, for all the developers who are thinking about Lucas, that's only five houses. But it's still plenty of money to be made. Expands by 10 acres every day, and 
and geologists estimate that eventually there will be an entirely new Hawaiian island because the magma is just building. It's cooling in the ocean, and it's just raising up. So eventually there will be something entirely new out of the chaos that happens because of the tectonic plate shifts and the earthquakes and the eruptions and all of this chaos that happens in the Ring of Fire brings about something new and eventually something beautiful like the island of Hawaii that came about 11 million years ago. It's kind of this perfect representation of what happens when, when maybe status quo is disrupted a little bit in favor of something better. So what... Uh, the fire, so the, the circle of fire that we, are, that we read about in Acts, or that Katrina read about in Acts, is what the church knows as Pentecost. Um, and it's often terms of as the birthday of the church. The Spirit came upon the apostles, they went out and they preached the gospel, churches formed, Paul got busy, everything started happening from that point on in terms of what we know as Christianity or the Christian movement or the followers of Jesus movement after that. But what we should know about Pentecost is that it is actually a continuation of what was already going on all the way dating back to Genesis 1. The word rushing breath, the rushing spirit in Greek is pneuma and is a transliteration of the Hebrew word ruach, which in Genesis 1, when the breath of God descends upon the chaos of the waters, God's ruach forms and creates out of the chaos. And so it's a continuation of Genesis 1, but it really is literally a continuation of Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15, um, and then on for a little while, where it describes what's called the Feast of Weeks, or the Festival of Weeks, also known as Shavuot. And this is, uh, and also known as Pentecost, as it would come to be known, the Feast of Weeks is celebrated 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Passover being the celebration of the Exodus, the time in which God freed the Israelites out of the uh, bondage of slavery in Egypt so that they could go live something better. God upset the status quo, the comfort even, of what was known in favor of what was unknown, but what was ultimately better. And 50, is, Pentecost is a version of the Greek word for 50, and so the Western church adopted the name of Pentecost. It is this celebration. But it's what we need to know about that is that Pentecost is intricately linked with Passover. We often treat them as two different things, but Pentecost is intricately linked with Passover. If Passover is the story of the Exodus where there is scarcity because they don't have food, then Pentecost is the celebration of bringing in the harvest and having an abundance of food. If in the Exodus story they um, are surviving by scraps of bread that is unleavened and they celebrate with unleavened matzah, then Pentecost is when in Leviticus 23 they are told to sacrifice two entire full loaves of bread to show the abundance that God has brought them to. If in Exodus their first complaint is that they don't have meat and they're hungry, in Pentecost they are told to sacrifice lambs and goats and all of the abundance of animals that they now have because they've been shown what God had promised for them. In Exodus, Moses ascends up to the mountain to receive the law, but while he's gone for a long time, the Israelites get absolutely freaked out and panic. Uh, versus in Pentecost is the day that tradition holds that Moses descended down and received the law to order and provide vision and God's presence amongst the Israelite people. In the Exodus story, 3,000 people are killed for disobedience, but in the Pentecost story in Acts chapter 2, once Peter gets done preaching, 3,000 people are rescued and delivered through their faith. Pentecost is, in a way, the completion of Passover. If Passover is the scarcity mindset, then Pentecost is 
God's abundance. If Exodus is wandering through the wilderness, then Pentecost is the assurance that God is always with us and sending us out on a mission. If Passover is disrupting what is, Pentecost is looking forward to what can be. And what we most often associate with Pentecost is this story of the um, apostles having the Spirit. Oh, we not have our scripture passage up there anymore. Sorry, you can go back to the sermon slide. We'll just skip that. Uh, so what we often associate is in verse 4, we see this, um, we see this movement of the, the Spirit rushing in, and all of the apostles now all of a sudden have this uh, ability to speak in other languages. But what we need to tie that to, where Katrina ended the scripture verse for today, is we need to tie it to verse 5 that comes around and says, Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And I think this is a really important point. Because it could have been, it was, could have been really easily for a whole bunch of uh, the apostles, to, for the group of apostles to just sit in their room comfortable, not doing anything except for maybe celebrating their own deliverance. But they are amidst a crowd of people. Normally, Jerusalem would have a population of like 30, 35,000 people. But they say on these big feasts and festivals, it would be about 100,000. And so uh, after, um, after it talks about the devout Jews of every nation who are gathered there, it shows the reaction to God's rushing wind that comes through this room and comes, fills up the environment. They all speak different languages. And it says their reaction is that they were astonished. They were amazed. Everybody was wondering what was going on. And if you get into verse 7 after that, it uh, says they all ask the same question. Aren't, aren't they all Galileans? Shouldn't they speak the same and look the same and think the same and do the same? Shouldn't everything be completely ordered in that small little group? Why in the world is it so chaotic? Why is this rushing wind disrupting their comfort level here when they could just be happy in their own little room. They could be happy in their own little church, and they could just feel the presence of God and be perfectly content amongst themselves. But has anybody ever read Genesis 11 and remember another story where everybody spoke the same language and it didn't really go very well for them? It's called the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, everyone spoke the same language. There was only one spoken language spoken on the earth, is what verse 1, Genesis 11 says. And... Um, when we are unchallenged, when we are not confronted with something different than ourselves, what can often happen is that we start to feel like we are always right all the time, or we know everything the best all the time, or we can't make a mistake. We are impervious to error, and basically we are saying that we are God, or we are on level with God. And this is what happens in Genesis 11. They are so uniform in who they are and what they are that they start building this tower up to the heavens because they want to be known on earth. They want to have the glory given to them, and they want to reach all the way up to the heavens. They want to be like God. And we often read the story and say, if God were the perfect CEO, they were all headed on the right direction. This was exactly what corporate synergy is about. But God comes in and mixes up their languages. Because we're not called to uniformity. We're called to unity. If we're not challenged, if there isn't some kind of difference, then our comfort zone is never upset. We're never called out of Egypt to go to the promised land. We're never shown what can be if we're too comfortable. And this is the exact same thing that happens in Acts chapter 2 when the Pentecost moment comes, when the rushing Spirit of God comes and takes what is a perfectly, naturally uniform, small group of people that are all on the same page after Christ's death and resurrection, 
and upsets the language, upsets the apple cart that forces them into the rest of the Jewish people that are scattered around there. And, and when it says they're speaking different languages, this isn't like, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, this isn't like some heavenly gibberish language of speaking in tongues that you may have heard of. It goes on to list in Acts chapter 2 all the nations that are there and all the languages, therefore, that would have been spoken, known languages, so that the gospel of Jesus doesn't stay within one uniform group that can control it, but the gospel of Jesus is recognized to be so uncontrollable by any one group or any one person that the Spirit forces them into diversity so that something better can happen. So that it's not only people like us who receive the grace of Jesus, but it's the next 3,000 people we run across. Comfort is disrupted so something better can happen. I got to see this this past weekend, um, Memorial Day weekend. I was uh, part of a wedding down near the Houston area, and we have some good friends who live in Spring, Texas. So we were staying with them, and I realized that one of my friends named Brandy, who is part of my pastoral leadership cohort that I meet with about once a quarter, or now twice a year, um, was, her church is about 20 minutes from where we were staying. And so um, while our friends went to their Lutheran church, I, you know, was a really terrible house guest, and I excused myself to go do something independent of them, and uh, made the drive over to Spring Community Church, a United Methodist congregation in Spring, Texas. And um, the way that she described it, and the way I always think, when I think of churches in Dallas or Houston, I think of churches at least Creekwood size or bigger. Um, and when I drove past the church and didn't notice the sign— and then I turned around and I drove past it again and didn't notice the sign. I finally hit it on the third time because there's this really tiny sign that says Spring Community Church, and it was a really tiny building. And if you know Houston, they don't have any zoning laws. So there is a used boat dealership, and then there's a giant mansion, and then tucked in the back is Spring Community Church. So I thought, okay. And um, I got there. I didn't go in early. I sat in the parking lot because I'm a visitor at this point. I didn't want anybody to talk to me like most new visitors don't. Um, and I was afraid of the church people, what they might want me to do, what they might ask me to do. And so I, um, I made my way in right on time, and I'm kind of expecting this bigger congregation, even though it's a smaller building. Um, sure enough, there's about 45 or 50 people there, and I thought, oh, great, I'm going to stand out. Um, all I wanted to do was see my friend preach. He's an amazing preacher. So I, I, I go in there, and um, it starts with the associate pastor. First of all, everybody is hobnobbing and chatting. It's as loud as can be. And uh, the associate pastor walks up, and nobody is quiet. And I'm thinking, like, this is not just for the first, like, 30 seconds as she's getting people's attention. This is at least five to seven minutes into her talking. And as somebody who feels like church leaders have something important to say, I'm thinking, will you guys shut up? I'm trying to listen. Um, but I don't say that, of course. And I notice, like, this associate pastor of family, student, children ministry um, has got, you know, tattoo sleeves on both arms, all the way from wrist to shoulder, as she invites um, children up from at least seven different ethnicities. And they're all sitting up there, and they do the children's moment right at the very top of the service. And then she says, okay, now we're going to uh, enjoy some praise and worship. And what I learned was that Memorial Day weekend, they had combined the traditional service with a contemporary service into a blended service in one service. And if you've ever tried to do that, it never goes well. Um, or at least it's hard to pull off. So they had a choir full of 75 to 90-year-old white people led by the 16-year-old African-American drummer who was going out of his mind with a Filipino pianist who, by the way, during the sermon, the pianist could not stay awake. 
So he is in the piano seat doing this, back and forth like a metronome, trying to stay awake the entire time. And I don't know how he fell asleep, because during the sermon, over to my back right, there is a teenager who, I, if I had to make my guess, um, is on the spectrum of some level, and I believe also have Tourette's, because he is up wandering around just yelling noises the entire sermon. But that's matched by the other children. And for a small congregation, there were a lot of children there. The other children who were over here who didn't, who, who were never told that church isn't Disneyland. And so they are climbing on the chairs. One of them literally falls back in the chair. There are two that are literally shooting Nerf guns at each other while the preacher is talking. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, where am I? But that also is counterbalanced by the 80-year-old woman who's sitting next to me, and her, she doesn't know how to silence her cell phone. And she's very popular, and it goes off four or five times during the sermon while all of this other stuff is going on. And then be, in front of me are three women, and then there are different um, African-American women scattered throughout the sanctuary. There are about six or seven African-American women. There are three who are sitting there, and they all brought their growing up church experience into this congregation. And so, as uh, we're in the offertory song, which is a solo, and yet this woman is up just singing along, even though she's not supposed to. And as Brandy's preaching, y'all have never said amen in, in prayer as much as these people were complimenting her sermon that were going on. And she was standing up and amen in the entire time. It was chaos. Utter chaos. And I left there feeling more at peace and more filled up spiritually than I ever have at any produced perfect worship experience. You know what they did afterward? All these kids who had been shooting Nerf guns and acting up during the service, they all helped move the chairs into uh, circles around some tables that the men had brought out, and they all ate lunch together afterward. This wild group, and they begged me to stay. They were so hospitable. They came up and they were like basically grabbing my arm of, you can sit with me. Just come join my family. Come sit here and be a part of this. And I, I left because I had already felt bad about leaving our hosts. I had already felt bad about leaving my family. Um, I wished I had stayed for lunch because if church was that chaotic, I really wanted to see what lunch was like <laughs> afterward. Um, and if church was that great, I also wanted to see what the Spirit was going to do over informal time like lunch when they were sharing something in common together. It was so wildly disruptive that it was perfect. And I know some people out here are thinking, oh my gosh, I would have a stroke on the way home or in the middle of this. But what Brandy said is she says they, are, they disrupt each other so much in the differences that they have that they have to trust that God is doing something better with that than if we were all the same. That essentially their differences force them to be uncomfortable so much that they have to lean into the idea that they're all there for the same reason. Their disuniformity brings about greater unity because they appreciate the differences because at the core of it, they recognize that they're all there filled with the Spirit to worship God together. They don't look at differences. They don't look at different patterns. They don't look at disruptions as hindrances to their worship experiences. They look at 1 Corinthians 12 and say, no, our different gifts are better. The differences make us something better than we could because we're not uniform. We're not allowed to be comfortable in our worship and our study and our devotion to God. We are not allowed to be comfortable to build idols and churches to our own glory. We are forced to stare at the complete image of God in the differences amongst us so that we can be better. 
so that we are not uniform just to reach people like us, but we are united to reach the next 3,000. I would love for us to be a church that doesn't lean into uniformity, but embraces unity, that is so open to the rushing, violent wind of the Spirit, that is open to disruptions and discomfort, because we recognize that it is simply Passover leading us into something better. It is Passover leading to Pentecost, and we see Pentecost here often. We see Pentecost moments when there are 54 guests at Open Door, adults with special need, combined with 42 um, volunteers from Creekwood who go fishing and do charades together and have the greatest time. That's Pentecost. Pentecost is when the FaithWorks Sunday School class, which uh, are all empty nesters, and some of them by a good margin, enter willingly into the chaos of children's Sunday school every fifth Sunday so that they can learn and be disrupted by these children who are leading them as well as offer the wisdom that they can to help the children grow and lean farther. Pentecost happens. I don't know if you know who Glenna Foster is. Glenna Foster helped start the traditional worship service here a number of years ago, but Glenna Foster also every once in a while sneaks in the back of contemporary worship, and even though she helped start the traditional worship service, you should see her when we sing contemporary songs because she is worshiping her mind out. Because it doesn't matter how we sing. It matters that we sing. Pentecost happens when we say everybody is invited to the open table because wherever Jesus is, everybody is welcome in communion. And it's so great. Like, I have the privilege of knowing many of your backstories and opinions on things. And it's so great when I'm serving you communion and two people standing in line to receive God's grace together could not be more different. That's Pentecost that happens a lot around here. And it's a challenge to us to embrace all of the spirit that God gives us, all of the unity that God gives us as we push together toward the goal of reaching the next 3,000 people, of bringing completion to what God desires by disrupting the apple cart to show love and grace to all that we meet and not be so comfortable, not be so uniform in who we want or expect the church to be so that all people might recognize that God loves them. And they truly have a part in bringing the creation back to the Eden order of perfection. Perfection in love that God desired from the beginning. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, disrupt our souls with peace. Upset our apple carts with grace. Cause an eruption, an earthquake that sends us to consider the child who yells during service is part of your great masterpiece. That all of the diversity of of experiences that come into one room is something better than disruption. It is unity in one purpose. And so God, open our hearts to the violent rushing wind of spirit so the tongues of fire might 
burn over our heads, and as John Wesley said, that we might light ourselves on fire with the Spirit so everyone may come watch us burn with your glory. Lord God, as we receive your peace today, may we have the mind that everyone we meet carries your image, and therefore everyone we meet needs to receive the grace of God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.